church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. Okay, Tal, welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you after a, a week off, and now we've entered the great season of Lent, preparing our hearts for that day, for that day where not only our Lord will, will crucify himself, because no one takes his life. He lays it down on his own accord. So he puts himself on that cross. Shall he not drink the cup his father has given him to drink? So we prepare like him in this wilderness. The aridity of the desert is what the season of Lent gives us the opportunity to to really offer ourselves up to join in the afflictions of Christ, as as St. Paul says in Colossians 1.24, looking forward to that day when not only he dies, but also that day when he is resurrected for our glory, for his glory and for our salvation. What a great gift. What a joy we have in the season of Lent. So much to look forward to. So much great opportunity to join in the afflictions of our Lord and prepare and sort of that one time of the year to really just just get our souls lined up right, to stop, to meditate, and to ponder upon the wounds even of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I hope that you are preparing yourself this season of Lent. And I especially hope that if you have not been to confession this year, oh, go, please go. 
go to confession. I beg of you to go to confession. This is such a wonderful opportunity to give over all of that baggage you've been saving up, all of that which separates you from God. That's your sin. And the man, that priest, he is only there because Jesus Christ commanded him to be. And what a gift. I tell you what, it would be a source of pride. I'd have to confess it. If I were a priest, I I would be seriously, seriously prideful. I forgave that man's sins. You know, I absolved that man's sins in the name of Christ. I mean, I'd be going around, boom, you get to go to heaven. Boom, you get to go to heaven because I'm absolving sins. It's, I mean, this is probably why Jesus Christ never called me to become a priest because it would be a source of pride. Because we look at the confessional from such a negative viewpoint. But we can't do that. This is a positive thing. This is a sacrament. This is an encounter with Christ himself. And you hear the words, not of the man, the priest, but of Jesus Christ using the voice of that man to absolve you, to take away your sins, to restore you to full sonship of the God Most High. You are a son or a daughter of God. And he is writing you. He is cleaning you out. What a joy and a gift we have in the confessional. So if you have not been, go. Please go before before Holy Week comes. Please take this opportunity to go right away. You do not want to be separated from God, not for an instant. So go, go to confession. Well, opening up this show today was the single Open the Eyes of My Heart from the album Always What I Need by Michael James Met. You can find out more about that song and about Michael James Met on my website at www.catholichack.com. Well, today I thought I would just give you an overview of a talk that I'm going to be giving on March 5th in Corpus Christi, Texas. It's based on uh, the late, great Pope John Paul II, who will one day be a saint in our church. And he wrote a book back before he was uh, elected to be the Pope, when he was just Cardinal Carol Wojtyla. He wrote a great book called Love and Responsibility. And pages 174 through 200 uh, deal with the issue of shame, shamelessness, and continence. And so that's what I'll be discussing there on March 5th. And you can actually catch that talk live over Ustream. So stop by the website for some more information. And if you're in Corpus Christi, I would love to meet you. So come by Hester's Cafe. It's at 7 o'clock. There's actually going to be an opening uh, uh, music group there to play some music. It's very festive. It's going to be coffee going around everywhere. It's going to be a great time. So come on by. Stop by the website, catholichack.com, for more information. But today, I think it's very important for us to talk about this issue of shame. Because, you know, I spent over 21 years addicted to pornography and sexual license. I did my very, very best to destroy not only myself spiritually, but other people as well, as many as I could, as a matter of fact. I, I, was, I was hunting for women in that part of my life. It was actually quite bad. It was very dark days. And as I remember, always trying to find satisfaction, always looking for satisfaction, but never finding it, always and every single time, only finding shame. And I think a lot of people can relate to that, especially men, but not just men, but I think I think a lot of men will understand what I'm talking about. When they're addicted to pornography, sexual license, when they look at women as conquests, as mere objects for personal satisfaction, 
They don't find the satisfaction they're after. They only have shame. That shame, it enslaves them. It's a, it's a vortex spiraling downwards. It doesn't edify and lift up. It sucks you down. And a man, because of his shame, won't talk about it openly. He won't share what's going on within his heart with anybody else. No, in fact, he thinks he is the only one with this problem, even though he's surrounded by a legion of people who have the same exact problem. I mean, we can't go to the grocery store and check out at the grocery store without being inundated with explicit images of of people, you know, of gorgeous people, but, you know, almost completely nude. You know, very, very scantily clad people. These images that are just packed full of, of sexual exploitation, just pounding away at the average person in innocent places like grocery stores or convenience stores or just driving down the street with billboards. I mean, it's impossible. So what does a person do when they're surrounded? I mean, we are behind the enemy lines here and we're surrounded on all sides. So what must we do? This issue of shame is prevalent and it's wrapped up in this whole matter. And so that's what we want to talk about today. And to start us off, let me just give you a quote uh, on page 174 of Love and Responsibility. Uh, Pope John Paul II said, quote, We can then say that the phenomenon of shame arises when something which of its very nature or in view of its purpose ought to be private passes the bounds of a person's privacy and somehow becomes public. So anything that we feel that should be private becomes public. That's when we start to feel that shame. And it can relate to anything. I mean, there's many things that can relate to. It doesn't always just happen to be about uh, sexual issues. It could be about food, for instance. Uh, I don't like people to know what I'm eating or how much I'm eating or whether I'm exercising or not. I'm overweight, so it becomes a real issue. That issue of shame comes in. That shame, which is a natural element, and it doesn't always mean bad. Shame is natural. It has it serves a very good purpose. It it helps our conscience to speak to us, to tell us right from wrong, to remind us, to wake us up when we we need to be woken up to the issue. Now, shame though is unique to man versus the animal world, and and John Paul II actually makes this point. Animals react; they 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 even conceal things, but they do so based on fear, on the instinct of fear. Not on shame. Shame is different. It, it It's unique to man because man has an interior life that animals simply don't. And that shame is bound up with the person and it develops with the person and the personality. And so the need to conceal is characteristic of shame is unique to man because, again, it's bound up with the person. You know, there is an almost universal tendency for humans to conceal the organs that differentiate between man and woman, though. Now we're going to move shame into that realm of, of the sexual values, as, as Pope John Paul II likes to say so often in his book. There is an almost universal tendency to conceal the organs that differentiate between man and woman. But although not completely, not in every culture, and, and he actually talks about how nakedness does not always equal shamelessness because when we talk of shame we often think of things like modesty and and cha- and chastity and i once had a I was privileged to contribute to an article in the national catholic register and i mentioned this that 
you can't always judge a book by its cover. I mean, when it comes to this issue, you can't always say, well, she's naked, therefore she's being immodest, or he's naked, therefore he's being shameless. No, not necessarily. I mean, it depends. Context is key here. I mean, there are tribal cultures where the women can be almost completely naked with the exception of uh, maybe a loincloth or something, and the men would not consider her to be immodest. Why? Because they are not, she, her, the context of her nakedness is not exploiting herself. She's not saying, use me as an object. She's not putting herself over to being uh, reduced to something as a mere object of, of sexual pleasure. And the men also are not taking her that way. So it's about context is the key. And Pope John Paul II even uses the example of, for example, you could be in a a medical examination where you might be almost fully naked. That context is not, therefore, sexual exploitation, is that not, therefore, immodest or shameless. So nakedness does not equal shamelessness. Context is the key. Why conceal, though? The reason why we conceal these things is because I cannot be used as a mere object for pleasure. Also, because I cannot use another as a mere object for pleasure. Shame, in the context of sexual values, it really does two different things. It protects the self, and it also broadcasts, and we'll get more clear on that in a second. But we have to protect our own values. We don't want anybody to be using us beyond what we've allowed. We are not objects for mere use. When I was addicted to pornography, I saw women, not as human persons. No, no, no. They didn't exist like I existed. No, they existed merely for my pleasure. They weren't persons. They were objects. They were no different than a Coke can. And when I was done drinking that Coke can, I crumpled it up and I tossed it in the trash because that's what you did with commodities, with objects. You use them and then you toss them away. Persons are made in the image and likeness of God. They have inbuilt dignity because they are made in the image and likeness of God and they are far above use of utilitarian nature. You cannot reduce a person, no matter how small, no matter how old, from conception to a natural death, people have dignity because they are made in the image of God himself. And therefore, to pervert the person, to reduce the person, is in, a, in, a, in some way also to reduce God himself. And that is not possible. And therefore, it is wrong every time. We cannot do it. And so we must protect our values. We must protect the value of self, but I also must protect the value of others. I can't say in my mind, oh, look at her. Wow, she's hot. I wonder what I'd like to do with her later on. No, that is wrong. That is using that person as an object. It is ignoring her essential value as a person, as a God-given right that she has as a value of a person. I cannot do that. So I must also protect my own sentimental reaction to the, the, the reactions to body and sex. And so I cannot 
I cannot reduce myself and I cannot reduce others beyond what they are, which is, again, made in the image and likeness of God. On page 176, Pope John Paul II says, quote, What is an essential feature is the tendency to conceal sexual values themselves, particularly insofar as they, are con- they constitute in the mind of a particular person a potential object of enjoyment for persons of the other sex. So again, there are two there are twofold things going on here in in this this experience of shame as it relates to the sexual values. It serves to protect. Think of like a think of like a, a castle. The walls of the castle protect, and it also serves to broadcast. You're protecting your value as a person, and you're broadcasting your value as a person. All at the same time, much like a castle protects its inhabitants with its strong walls and then broadcasts its strength and intent to those who might be on the outside looking in. We must open the way to love. Shame properly used can do that. We protect the value when we feel the shame, we have a reaction and then we must take action and we'll get to that in a minute. But then we are also by protecting our values, we are also broadcasting those values. This is who I am. This is what I am. You are either in line with that or you are not. If you are not in line with my value as a person, then I must protect myself against you. So it's very, uh, it's very essential that we understand this, which leads us naturally into modesty. And Pope John Paul II says, Modesty is the constant capacity and readiness to feel shame. When we are modest, when we address modesty, modestly, for example, and he even says in his book, you can't, there's no clear-cut rules, okay? Wear this, wear this, wear this, and therefore you are modest. It doesn't work that way. I mean, social norms have to play a part. Context is key, as we said a few minutes ago uh, about the tribal people. Context is key. But when we are living modestly, when we are dressing modestly, we are not only protecting those values as people, protecting ourselves from those who would reduce us to mere objects, we are also broadcasting ourselves because we want people to see us for who we really are and not what we're not. Does that make sense? Our modesty not only protects us, but it lets people know who we really are. And do you really want people to misunderstand who you really are? No. You want them to know who you are. You have to take that into consideration in your actions, your behaviors, even the way you dress and talk in and amongst society. We want people to understand who we are, not what we're not. And when we, we misuse or we lack modesty, we are sending the wrong message. He also says, quote, on page 177, shame is also, and above all, an imminent need to prevent such reactions to the body in oneself because they are incompatible with the value of the person. This is the origin of modesty, which is a constant eagerness to avoid what is shameless. In other words, imagine if someone is staring at you, right? 
And you can kind of see, oh, wait a minute, what's going on in their head? I mean, that, that person's mind is in the gutter. They're thinking things about me they shouldn't be thinking. You're thinking, do not think of me that way. That is not who I am. Do not think of me that way. Only when two people, bound in that sacramental covenant oath of marriage, that love will absorb that shame. And we'll get into that also in, in greater detail here in a minute. But only then, when they share the same values of love, can they then also be open to realizing that ultimate uh, experience of love in the one flesh union between man and woman in the covenant bond of marriage. It's a sacrament. But when we're not in that relationship, we cannot allow others to reduce us, not even in their thoughts. And so that's why modesty plays a very unique role in this experience of shame of the sexual values. We are super utilitarian. We are above and beyond the mere use as an object of sexual pleasure. No one can take possession of the body or the person unless the person permits this. He makes a gift of itself from love. The experience of shame is a natural reflection of the essential nature of the person. That's page 178. No one can take possession of my body unless I make a gift of myself. Is this not what our Lord did for us on the cross? He made a gift of himself to us. When we receive our Lord in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, body, blood, soul, and divinity, it is likened to a marriage. We become one flesh with our Lord when we receive him on our tongue. He gives himself perfectly and fully over to us, holding nothing back. He gave himself all the way to the cross and beyond. He held nothing back. And we receive him like a spouse. We receive him perfectly when we, with no stain of sin, with a good, clean conscience, we go to uh, the Eucharist and receive him. We say, Amen, I believe. We are we are entering into that marriage supper of the Lamb when we are joined to our spouse for all eternity. That's what the Eucharist brings to us, the reality of eternity here when heaven touches down on earth and God, he came down and he gave us true food, manna from heaven, his body and his blood. And Ephesians 5 wraps this up in St. Paul. He tells us that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church so much that he died for her. That's what we have to understand when we think of super, supra utilitarian nature of the person. We are above and beyond the mere use, and no one takes possession unless we give ourselves as a gift freely and willingly and without reservation. That's the covenant relationship of marriage. We pour ourselves out for our spouse like Christ poured himself out for us. We feel shame because we recognize naturally that we are ignoring their or our own supra-utilitarian nature. When I ignore the value of another person, I feel shame. When someone ignores my value, they feel shame. 
When I ignore my own value, I feel shame. So it's very important that we understand how modesty plays a role, our own value as persons. We're not just hiding, but we're broadcasting too, as I said before. We are letting the world know, like that castle and its ramparts, its cannons up top and all of its soldiers. We are here in force. This is what we are about. If you come this way, this is what you can expect. Do not try to come into this castle because we are here in force. The same sort of analogy can be applied or understood when it comes to sexual values. Our guard goes up to protect our value as persons, but we also broadcast those values too, because ultimately we're trying to open the way to love. We are opening the way to true love, not lust. We don't want lust. Lust is, it is so far inferior to love that anything less than true love is nothing more than a lie. We are trying to open the way to love, so we must broadcast our value so that we might find that one who shares that value. And then, perfectly, in love, in the marriage covenant, we can realize that love and the experience of that in the one flesh union. But we do so as full and complete persons. We must give ourselves completely, holding nothing back. On page 179, our beloved Pope says, quote, a woman wants to be loved so that she can show love. Let me repeat that. A woman wants to be loved so that she can show love. A man wants to love so that he can be loved. I'll repeat that. A man wants to love so that he can be loved. Notice how perfectly the two go together. God, he works in such wonderful and mighty ways. The two fit perfectly together. A woman wants to be loved so that she can show love. A man wants to show love, or he wants to love, so that he can be loved. They're meant to go together perfectly. He goes on to say, In either case, sexual modesty is not a flight from love, but on the contrary, the opening of a way towards it, the spontaneous need to conceal mere sexual values bound up with the person is the natural way to discovery of the value of the person as such. We are opening the way to true love when we broadcast those values. This is why it's important that we do not broadcast the wrong message. In your dress, in your actions, your behaviors, your speech, are you sending the wrong message about yourself? Is that what you want people to know about you? If it's not, you have to change. You want people to know who you are as a person. And if we're sending the wrong message, you must understand that people will not only get the wrong message, but they will act on the wrong message. Protect yourself. Send the right message. Open the way to true love. He says also, quote, In the woman, it expresses itself like this. You must not touch me, not even in your secret carnal thoughts, and in the man like this. I must not touch her, not even with a deeply hidden wish to enjoy her, for she cannot be an object of use. 
I'm running out of time here. I wish I had a whole hour. You're going to have to listen to the talk to get it all. But basically, really quick, I want to show with you that we can understand kind of what was going on in the Garden of, of Eden there, because we know that Genesis 2.25, and the man and his wife were both naked and were, and were not shamed. They were not ashamed because of their nakedness in Genesis 2.25. It wasn't until Genesis 3.7 that their eyes were opened after eating the fruit and sinning that they realized that they were naked and they they sewed fig leaves to conceal their their, um, nakedness. Why? What's the difference? In Genesis 2.25, we know because of Genesis 1.28 that man and woman were made in the image and likeness of God. There was no shame between them because before the fall, they could see each other as persons. Their, their organs, their body parts didn't cause concupiscence, near occasions of sins even. They didn't cause scandal in the eyes of the other. Because they saw each other as complete and whole persons. Adam didn't look at Eve and say, wow, she's hot. Look at that. No, he didn't do that. He saw Eve for who she was. Woman. Made in the image and likeness of God, a person. And so shame, properly understood, means that we see people as whole persons. And maybe next time, I'll get into how the shame is absorbed by love. And then we can talk about controlling it. That's what we need to understand when we think of shame. Well, that's it. I've run out of time and I barely scratched the surface from John Paul II. I mean, this is a deep, deep well. And I encourage you to go down and start just pulling from this this man his work is phenomenal check out the website for more information on that talk on March 5th in Corpus Christi at www.catholichack.com I really would hope to see you there if not let me see you online it will be broadcast live well until next time I'm praying for you God bless from the Catholic Underground